When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Summer is here in Texas, and the time is right to thank my wonderful patrons. I want to say thank you to Dave and Jennifer Van Evers, Jeff Ulmer, Sylvian Groth, Liz Brunson, Fernando Santamaria Lazarno, Steve Vansack, Randy Brown, Rob Barnett, Crystal Carroll, Bella Pori, John Munson, Betsy Hodges, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Steve Rogers, Dale Hozak, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Their support means the world to me. If you want to get access to unedited episodes, video of my discussions with my guests, and a personal thank you card from me with a Set Lusting Bruce sticker, please go to patreon.com setlustingbruce. Sign up for as little as $5. Now, on to the show. When you start a series or a standalone, you really have to figure out who the characters are and how they're going to behave in a logical and consistent fashion. What's going to make them interesting and what's their, not actual superpower, but what makes them great. And learn how to stay in that character's head. What are you going to like about them? And for me, like the first time you do it, the first book in the series, it's, it's a challenge to get all that so it's nice when you've got those characters set and you can take them forward. And again, you can evolve them so they're not the same people, but they're growing and they're going through these things. And it's it flows very easy. But the first book is always a little bit hair pulling for me to get it correct. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are on the Bruce train today, but we're also on the talking to people about riding train. We're going to do a little bit of everything. And I cannot wait to talk about, I think, one of the best puns ever, Sword in the Scone. Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, I love that. It is a wonderful cover. So I just smiled when I saw that. So to pull the curtain back a little bit, listeners, both Kirsten and I are part of a group where podcast hosts go back and forth about, hey, do you need a guest? Do you need, do you, do you want to join me on our podcast? And she sent the sweetest note. She says, I've listened to a couple of your episodes. I'm not that big of a Bruce fan, but I think we would have fun. And I'm like, that's the best email ever. So thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you. 
Yeah. So tell us about yourself. I'm a mystery writer. I've been writing now for about 12 years and uh, it's a full-time job now, which is, I, which I love. I'm so happy about it. I write mainly what's called cozy mystery. So with cozy mysteries, the murders happen off the page. You don't see the violence. It's, there's usually an amateur detective who's trying to solve the crime and it's frequently set in a small town with quirky characters. And then there can be humor in it, which I've been doing more and more with things like the sword and the scone <laughs> because it's just, I think we all need to laugh more. I agree. Yes. Do you do series or are they each independent standalone? I have, I have several series now. Okay. It's because I enjoy working with the characters and the help working with them and making them evolve and I, I almost said watching them evolve but i am actually writing the story <laughs> yes so i enjoy evolving the characters and seeing them grow and i think the readers do too lawrence block is one of my favorite writers and i was at a book signing of his and he's doing q a and there is a point where in his scudder novels the main character, Matthew, is having an affair on Elaine, who is his girlfriend. And, and at the end of the book, Elaine says something about, I love you, and I know you love me. And you, I want you to know you are giving me everything I need. And so when I, I raised the question, I said, so Lawrence, when I read that, I think that means she knows that Matthew may be stepping out on her, but because of her background as a sex worker, she doesn't care. And he looks at me, goes, I think so too. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I loved that as the writer, he's, yeah, I think that's what the character is feeling, but I'll know better the next novel. I, I feel that. <laughs> Right? Exactly. Yeah. And we're going to get to music in a minute, but before I forget, I I had another writer on last night. We were talking, and I I will try to make this short, but I grew up reading Isaac Asimov. I was a, I graduated high school in 77. I adored science fiction, mostly because of Star Trek and Lost in Space. And so Isaac Asimov's books and his collections of short stories were just some of my favorites. And I was lucky enough to talk to him as when I was an adult, he was on a radio call-in show and I called him and I asked him, I said, Dr. Asimov, you just had put out, he had just put out a book that was a standalone novel. And I said, did you enjoy I said, I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed the novel. And it was a nice change of pace for me because it wasn't part of your robot series. It wasn't part of your foundation series or your empire series. It was, and I felt it was fun just to pick up a book and know everything I needed to always do that. And he said, I had the same joy in writing it because I didn't have that. So is writing a series and writing standalone do they use different muscles and give you different pleasures in different ways they do when you start a series or a standalone 
you really have to figure out who the characters are and how they're going to behave in a logical and consistent fashion. What's going to make them interesting and what's their not actual superpower, but what makes them great and learn how to stay in that character's head. What are you going to like about them? And for me, like the first time you do it with the first book in the series, it's, it's a challenge to get all that. So it's nice when you've got those characters set and you can take them forward. And again, you can evolve them. So they're not the same people, but they're growing and they're going through these things and it's, it flows very easy, but the first book is always a little bit hair pulling for me to get it correct. So that's for me, the challenge of the standalone. Cause with standalone, you have to do it with every standalone book. Yeah. I can. It's often when you start a new TV series that you go, Hey, you've got to give them some grace on the first two or three episodes because they're world building. Right, they're still trying to teach you this world. Very nice. I'm, we'll get more to that, but I always like it start at the beginning. So, two questions. One: What kind of music was your family listening to as you grew up? And then, after you answer that, I'm going to ask you, as a writer, were you a, raised in a family of readers? Okay, don't laugh, but my family was listening to Trini Lopez and Herb Alpert when I was growing up. <laughs> and yes. I actually have a great affection for the Whip Cream album. <laughs> I am so glad you mentioned that. As a young man, there was something about that album that spoke to me, <laughs> that album cover. And I remember hearing it. I loved hearing it too. My parents had that Whipped Cream and Other Delights. But yes, I remember being very attracted to that album cover as a 10 year old boy. <laughs> well, apparently a couple of years ago, there was a, it had a revitalization that album. Mm -hmm. And so you can get it on iTunes and I downloaded it and occasionally I listen to it. And yeah, it's just uh, not that my childhood was like super awesome, but yeah. <laughs> I still have a great affection for that album. Sure. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Did when did you find your own musical taste? Would you know? Did you discover pop, rock and roll? What kind of music did you as you started going and finding your own taste? Gosh, I genre hop quite a bit. Quite honestly, for me, a lot of it has to do with the lyrics and the complexity of the music. I don't, I don't sure. like really simple, repetitive stuff, and I do like lyrics that actually have something to say, which is. One of the things I really respect about Bruce Springsteen, actually, he his lyrics are amazing. He spoke to a time and a, a place and a, a group of people that I think resonates with a lot of people. Now, I, it's sad I keep going back to 80s music, quite honestly, because I really miss that. I feel like things have gotten so corporatized that the news, a lot of the new stuff coming out just seems very anodyne and bland and it's not really saying anything and i I, i'm sure there are people who will argue with me on that (laughs) i'm just not listening to the right stuff but that's what i've been hearing on the radio yeah it's a little i feel a little stunted right now with my musical growth quite honestly one of the things that i have discovered about myself is I don't go explore a lot of new music. And I realize because I tend to any extra listening time, I explore new podcasts. Being a podcaster, I just really, so I'll find a new interview show or a new comedy show or a new history show. And I do try to at least explore some music my latest musical obsession is Jason Isbell talking about someone who has brilliant lyrics. And he talks about, he doesn't always want to put in a chorus because we just, he says, there's something about us. We like having to sing the same three lines over and over again as a group. He says, and it's repetitive. I don't understand it, but we like it as an audience. And so some songs you need that. Yeah. I do think it's easy to, and I admire people. I have a lot of friends that are constantly looking for new music and will explore and share. And uh, I admire them, but it is always, it's more of a chore for me. So if they weren't big music people, were you guys big readers? Yeah, we were huge readers. My father, especially, we always had books in the house. We were, we didn't have, we weren't poor growing up, but we didn't have so much money. We, so my mother was always shopping garage sales and buying books from the garage, okay. sales, 10, 10 cents a book. 
And so the house was full of books and we were encouraged to read them. And I did, I was reading Greek mythology when I was probably way too young to be reading because some of the Greek mythology is pretty dark. <laughs> I don't think my parents realized that. <laughs> but because uh, my dad was more of a history buff, he wasn't really reading you know, literature or Greek myth. But uh, it, yeah, it was, so that was actually great. And I, I'm super appreciative of that and that my mother taught me to read at a young age and that they encouraged that. I think it, was, it really helped me get ahead in life, I think. Did you know you always wanted to be a storyteller, Kirsten? I did. When I was when I was really young, I picked up a Nancy Drew. I think I was five years old. And I immediately wanted to be a girl detective. But I think within a few months, I realized that just wasn't feasible. <laughs> so my next, my next big plan was I was going to write about girl detectives. I was going to be a mystery writer. And that stuck with me, although I didn't get into I'm 54 now. I didn't get it. Oh, sorry, 55. I didn't get into mystery writing until, like I said, 12 years ago. Seriously, I'd been I fooled around with it. I wrote some bad manuscripts that I lost or buried over the years when I was in college and then later on when I was working overseas. But uh, when I came back from overseas, I discovered I really was having a hard time finding work. I just, everybody wanted to talk to me because I had this weird international experience, but I didn't really fit in. So in a fit of desperation, I just started writing because I had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> So I might as well. And fortunately, it started landing. What were you doing overseas? I was working in something called microfinance. So it's an economic development program where people make really tiny loans, usually around 100 bucks, typically targeting women, but not always. When I was in Eastern Europe, it was about 50-50 men and women. And these are people who you might have a stand in a bazaar where they're selling tomatoes or a lady with a sewing machine making curtains. And that $100 is enough for her to buy a better sewing machine or for them to buy their more inventory so they can resell it. And it, it's, um, it started moving more and more into savings. And then with the advent of mobile phones, which you know, people in little villages in Africa had, they could do savings on their mobile phones. So it started to expand beyond credit and into other types of financial services. And I think it's, I think it's really helpful to people, to a certain kind of person who has a small business. It can't help everybody, in my opinion. But it, for entrepreneurs, so people who want to work, people who are looking for some, a little extra cash so they can invest in their business, it can make a tremendous difference. So it was really rewarding for me, but I didn't want to do it forever. Yeah. Obviously, we know why, because Nancy Drew, you wanted female detectives. Why did you decide to do, as you called it, the cozy mysteries? What, and what did you start out doing those or did you? No, I actually started out writing more urban fantasy and a little bit darker. Lately, I've been moving more and more towards the lighter side. Just the last couple of years, especially with COVID, everybody's been, not everybody, but I have felt like there's this big cloud of oppression on everybody. But it's starting to lighten up, but I've just come to see the value more of putting happier, funnier things out into the world. And that's not a knock on the darker stuff. That obviously has a place too, but I'm in a headspace where I... I would rather be on the lighter side of life than the darker side. So my wife 
intervention, uh, A and E, first 48 hours, uh, all these other, as my son calls it, murder porn. And he, and then he walks in and he goes, and dad's always got it on the Hallmark channel. <laughs> I'm like, Hallmark channels are, are bubble gum. You, and I said, and often the characters, the actors bring the script to life. I said, and I don't love all of them, but it's fun, comfort food to watch on TV. And I think, go ahead, please. Oh, no, I was just saying, a, a lot of people who write to me are people with really difficult, stressful jobs, like nurses, get a lot of yeah. nurses for some reason. And they're like, they say, or people who, who are going through chemotherapy and are just having a really hard time and they just need a break. And I think, again, I think there's a place for the high drama too in our lives, obviously, but I'm happy to provide that break for people. And I think that it is anytime you can put a ray of sunshine in today's world, even before COVID, there is there was a lot of darkness and a lot of anger out in both politically and socially. So I do think it is nice to have escape, right? There, there's a reason why that's fun. Yeah, and I've come to understand that you don't really know what the long-term effects of the things you do are going to be on other people or how far it's going to reach. And I think the better, if you put good things out into the world, the odds are that the long-term effects are going to be positive rather than negative. So I'm trying to work more on that. Yeah, I totally agree with you that it is, and, and I you might have a dark brooding novel in you someday that you'll go oh hey and you'll have to warn your audience <laughs> okay guys just want to let you know this one's a little bit different uh, right oh there's plenty of dark broodiness in me yeah for sure yeah <laughs> we'll see if it comes cute. out one day that's great <laughs> so you did mention in your email that you did have a little bit of bruce experience to share so tell me about it so I was introduced to Bruce when I was in high school with the Born in the USA album. And I was, I didn't, initially, I didn't really understand what the lyrics were for the title song, of course, so many other dumb kids. And I ended up getting the album and really listening to it and thinking, huh, it's a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but I've really come to appreciate that because, I mean, he talks about, or he sings about a lot of the fundamental unfairness of life. Life doesn't always go the way you want and you hope. It's not fair. And that's real. And I wish there was a bit more of that again in, in modern music. And if you have any good recommendations, I really would love to hear them. Aside from more Bruce. <laughs> I no, I will send you. Yeah. Like I said, right now I'm on a kick with a Jason Isbell and uh, one of his songs is Elephant, and uh, it's all about characters that were bar flies together, and then she gets cancer, and it's the story of him helping her through her cancer. Oh, wow. Even though he knows she's going to die. 
and you address the elephant in the room, right? It's the cancer. And <laughs> he was on a recent interview once and he says, the thing, the two things I dislike the most is if it's a first person song, narrative song, they think it's about my life. And no, I'm just telling a story. And second, but your songs are so sad. <laughs> He's, they're not necessarily sad. They're just their emotion songs so yeah i'll send you three or four and i think you will he he tells some great stories yeah please do yeah so i just finished i'll grab this there is a new book out by warren zanes called deliver me from nowhere the making of bruce springsteen's nebraska Mm -hmm. And it reads like a mystery novel because the premise is Bruce puts out the river, which was his first top 10 hit, Hungry Heart. All of a sudden, as he and little Steven joke, once we got on the radio, women started going to our shows. <laughs> and so our base expanded. Then skip a record skip nebraska he has born in the usa where he goes to another just another league and in the middle he puts out this little album that legend has it and it's true he was he recorded a demo in his house on a cassette and they ended up publishing the demo and so Warren's point is, why did you, on the spur of this success, did you take a step backward or a step sideways? And spoilers, right, is life is about in-breath and out-breath. And he says, I think this was an in-breath of Bruce. I will send you the link to the book. It is fascinating because Nebraska is filled with dark stories and other stories that Bruce wrote. And to speak of writing, when they tried to have the band do it, he said, I'm losing the characters. The characters are getting lost when the band plays the full song. And oh, I thought that was right as insightful as a writer. So good. Yeah. I so I write Pulp Fiction, so I have a hard time calling myself an artist. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I am. You are, absolutely. Um, and I get it because, like, I just published a book, which is a experimental mystery fiction. If It's ostensibly a tarot guidebook written by one of my characters, but there's this mystery woven through it where he's, the story is he's, he's sent it off to his buddy in the woods. And when he gets the notes back for each chapter, it starts out with just notes on the chapters and then it evolves into a murder mystery. And I wrote it kind of, I wrote like one chapter a week. I was writing it between my normal writing because I knew it was weird, but I was just having so much fun with it and fun with the whole structure of basically little pieces of flash fiction or little like fake personal essays. And then this mystery. And I don't know if it's going to sell very much, but sometimes you just have to do something different and do something, go where your passion's carrying you to get recharged. Yeah, you'll often see big Hollywood stars 
that say I do one for them, I do a summer blockbuster, then I do one for me, a little independent film, right? One for them, one for me. And I think that ultimately, and I guess I would call you an artist, I think it's a little pretentious to call myself an artist, but let's say it as a podcaster. I do the podcast that I find interesting and I hope my audience does as well. Because if you try to just write for what your audience wants, I don't know if that will be sustainable. What do you think? I agree. It's something I've been struggling with because people keep telling me right to market. And like, yeah, <laughs> I want to write what people want to read. Obviously, I want to be sure, absolutely. Yes. But I also feel like there's room for people like me who don't write to market or who write for a smaller market, who write for people who want something a little bit different. And that's what I want to do. And the thing is, I started writing partly out of yes, desperation, but because I love it. And I don't want it to turn into this slog. I don't want it to be just a job. It shouldn't be just a job. I'm very fortunate to have this career. No, <laughs> I want to make I, the most of it. I agree. And this is a slightly, unfortunately, based on things we have now found out about Josh Whedon, the creator of Buffy and Angel, a little touchy to bring him up and uh, which, by the way, in a series, I, I watched a Woody Allen documentary, right? And I was like, how could anyone be a fan of his movies? And then I started thinking about Josh Whedon and how much I adore Buffy and Firefly. And I'm like, okay, you got to separate the art from the artist, right? But he said, I would rather, I'd rather do a piece of art that is beloved by a smaller group of people than liked by a bigger group of people. And you have to pay your bills. You have to keep your publisher happy. I, I understand all those real world things, but I will honestly tell you, if I got an email or a letter from someone who's going through chemo and said, your book made it a little bit easier, I'd go, that's it. That's okay. Win column. Yeah. Yeah. You have to figure out what's important. And yeah, it is the luxury I am. I know not everybody has it the way I have it. I am able to pay my bills, but I am able to say, okay. Yeah. I would love to be a New York Times bestselling author. I would love to have Dan Brown money for sure. Yes. <laughs> but I don't need it. I'm okay. I have the same thing. I would love to have more downloads. I would love to be on iTunes top 20 list. I would love for Entertainment Weekly or whatever to go up and rising podcast. But um, you stay true to the art and you hope that your audience enjoys where you're going. So that's good. What was your, so you said you did a little paranormal. What was what was the first book you thought that you went, yeah, I've got something. I, this was good. I think when I sold the book to my first publisher, I felt like, okay, I, yeah, I, I really know what I'm doing now. <laughs> of course, I still am learning so much and I've come yes. so far 
since then. But I think when you get an agent and you sell to a publisher, even though most of my books now are through an author's cooperative, not through a traditional publisher, it is a stamp of approval. Yes, you are an author, which is silly. If people buy your books and like your books, then you're a successful author, as far as I'm concerned. You don't need a traditional publisher for that. And I very much enjoy, I still have a traditional publisher. Uh, my Pytown series is still through Kensington. They're wonderful. But I like the freedom and flexibility of working through my author's cooperative where I can publish more books a year. Like Kens with Kensington, I couldn't publish more than a book every nine months. And that was really pushing it. They really only wanted to do one a year. And you just can't make a living on one book every nine months. <laughs> so you need to be more active, unfortunately or fortunately. It's nice to be able to do that. And then also through my author's cooperative, I have more, a little more creative freedom. And they, I think um, traditional publishers, when you're in the cozy mystery genre, they, I think they actually have a checklist. Is she, how old is she? And what kind of job does she have? And does she have quirky characters? And what, does the pet have a character arc? That was one thing I was told my, the animal in my Python series, Frederick, the cat had to have a character arc. So I got mad and I made him deaf and narcoleptic. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll show you character arc. <laughs> Poor Frederick actually turned out to be a good character. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's a cat. I yeah. love cats. <laughs> and they do have character, but I, how do you get an arc to a cat? How does their character develop over time? It, I love that. We were talking, I was talking earlier about my Hallmark channel, and there are bingo cards out there that you can go yes boss or best friend person of color <laughs> baking cookies <laughs> just like there and just because it's a trope doesn't mean it can't work well i think that's pretty cool now what's the name of the series you were talking about it's the pie town series okay and what is that it's set in a pie shop in, it's actually set in Half Moon Bay, California, but I don't usually use real towns. So I changed the name because if I use a real town, people get mad that I put a stop sign on the wrong corner or I mix up a business. So it's easier just to make up my own little towns, but it's a comedy. I've got five books in that series right now. It's about a young woman who opens a pie shop and her crusty pie crust maker who's an 80 something irascible character they both get start getting involved in some local murders somebody drops dead in the pie shop and mm -hmm. people think that he's been poisoned by the pie so Val has to get involved or her new fledgling pie shop is going down the tubes but um, there's a lot of it's ridiculous and i play up with the ridiculousness and uh, it's high comedy my favorite book in that series i think is pie hard where I riff off a bunch of action movies. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I now, I'm in just with the title alone. That is great. So the creative process of how, what do you, and I'm not going to ask you where you get your ideas, but do you know the mystery going in? Do you know the rough guidelines of what happens what how do you work through that the building the structure of a of a of the book 
I actually usually start with the subplots, which I know sounds, which probably sounds weird, but with cozy mysteries are usually very heavy on multiple subplots. You're in this weird right. little town and you've got all these weird people doing funny things and doing comedic things against each other. And uh, so I'll have an idea of what the theme is going to be and what's going on in the characters' lives. And then I'll think, okay, now if there was a murder, how could that screw everything up in the most disastrous way possible? <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's do that. Um, and then I'll build out the murder with the suspects and how they would interact with the other parts of the plot. Because you have to, everything has to be integrated. You can't just have a subplot hanging out there that's not connected in some way to the main murder plot. And same right. with the, of the romantic subplot. Somehow it all has to be connected or it just doesn't feel like a cohesive whole. So murders are, it's like a little puzzle. You've got your, you've got your victim and then you've got your suspects who had reason to want the victim dead. And then you have the reason, the obvious reason they want him dead, but there's a hidden reason that they also want them dead. And it, so you have to puzzle things out that way. And that's almost separate from the story as a whole and then you learn how to weave it together does that make any sense it to- makes a total lot of sense that because you have to uh, no this is too obvious and so we've got to figure out why and peeling back the onion yeah you have to know yeah. what the clues are going to be and what the red herrings are going to be and you know why this person's going to look suspicious this person was the victim was killed with an arrow and this person won the archery championship in high school. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned a little bit, the touch of the supernatural. Do you do, so do you go back and forth on this series of, do you do, I saw a couple of things, your witches. Do you like to do different kinds of genres on part of that? I do. I'm actually about to start a spinoff for my witch mystery series, which is going to be a little more romantic suspense mystery genre mashup. Because I, I do enjoy the paranormal aspects and the occult aspects because it's the paranormal is, is such a part of people's lives. We don't, you know, so many people have ghost stories. So many people have seen that weird thing that they just can't explain. And mm-hmm. And then we tell each other about it. Yeah, yeah, the, the feeling running up the back of our neck. So I think, I, I think it's just fun to explore, and people are very interested in it. And I, what I usually do is, I'll take, I'll do research into a certain kind of magic or witchcraft, and then I'll base the book around that. So I try to bring in what people have done in the past, like a history of, you know, alchemy or shamanism or whatever or not magic is what i'm going to be working on as well as pennsylvania dutch powwow magic they call it as well i'll be working on next but uh, so it's interesting it's fun research for me and i think it's interesting for people to be like oh never never heard of pennsylvania dutch magic what is this the if you could divide it how much is research how much is a character development how is it just a blending depending on the story gosh yeah it does depend on the story i try to get the details right like my tea room series i, I was fortunate enough to know somebody who'd worked in a tea room so i figured out how do tea rooms work which is surprisingly complicated <laughs> okay. um, 
So I, but once you get the research, then it's there and you can just keep using it. Yeah, for me, the hardest part is getting, or the most challenging part is getting the characters right. The research is for the most part a pleasure because I'm curious about this stuff too. And then the plotting, I can usually it takes just a couple days to plot the rough outline of the book. And then I'll leave space for myself to play within that plot. So I'm, there's plot, what they call plotters, people who will plot in great detail, and then pantsers, people who just write without a, an outline ahead of time. And I thread the needle in between. I'll have a, a loose plot or a loose outline, and then I'll freeform within that. I just mentioned Lawrence Block, and he was just in another interview. And Brian Koppelman does a podcast, Brian Koppelman, Billions, Rounders, and they asked him about outlines and plots. And Lawrence said when he was very young in his career, someone said, I would no more start a book without a detailed outline than I would start a road trip without a carefully blocked out atlas. And Lawrence Block says, that sounds like the most boring road trip ever, <laughs> right? Yes. And when you put it that way, it makes more sense, right? Yeah. No, I want to get to blank, but how I get there is half the fun. Yeah. To each his own. I know very successful writers who have incredibly detailed outlines. I know this one woman who writes a hundred page outline for a 250 page book. So that's detail. I'm not that person, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess everybody has their process and you got to, you have to work with what works with your brain. So one of the questions on your website, when we talked about this, talk to me about your love of how did you get into tarot reading and how do you incorporate that in your writing? So I first picked up a tarot deck when I was in college, like so many college students do and fooled around with it and realized, gosh, there's a lot to learn with this. And I just don't have the time because <laughs> I'm okay. in college doing college things. Sure. And then I joined the Peace Corps and you have a limited amount of things you can take over with you. And I thought, well, I'll bring a tarot deck and maybe I'll actually have the time to learn how to read it. And that actually worked. I did have the time to learn. And the more I delved into tarot, the more I discovered the links between tarot and Renaissance philosophy and ancient Greek philosophy and Renaissance magic and shamanism and grail quest imagery and there's just so many rabbit holes you can go down when you start going into the symbolism of a deck of tarot cards and i went down a lot of them <laughs> so i have used them in my book especially when i started writing the books which had more of the magical bent i would i brought tarot into them and then of course i have my tea and tarot series which one of the characters is a tarot reader and so I usually have some tarot readings in that and I explain it. And then I did my experimental mystery, which is again, part tarot guidebook, part murder mystery. But I just, uh, the cards are beautiful and the symbolism is fascinating. And the history is just so deep and so rich and so interesting. And it can take you so many different places that I've really, I have not given up my love for tarot after all these years. It just gets deeper. I think that's fascinating. And, uh... That's really cool. I really now want to do that 
to check out that mystery and the instructional. That that sounds like a fun combo platter, as they say. So what's next? What haven't you got to do that you really want to do as as a writer? I think I'd like to do more work with more with experimental fiction. What I'm doing. So there's experimental fiction, which can get really weird. And there's most of it's literary experimental fiction, which is, I think literary is defined by, this is going to be a terrible definition, but the words are really long and beautiful. And the sentence structure is really carefully constructed. And it's just beautiful language. But again, I'm at heart a Pulp Fiction writer. <laughs> so I'm like, get to the story and I hope my language is good. <laughs> I know it's, I'm not doing C-Dick run, but the focus is more on the characters and the story than like, crafting the perfect paragraph describing the falling autumn leaves. And, uh, but that said, I really enjoy a lot of elements of experimental fiction. So I'm writing experimental genre fiction, and I think I'd like to do more of that. I don't know if it will sell. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I. There are people that adore Tom Clancy, and I just it. There's too much description in there. Not I just I, I I don't care how the submarine works. I just want them to get in the submarine and go somewhere. And then there are other people that adore all that. That's what makes it real. I'm in the car, and I tend to be someone who's. Nope, I just want to get, I want to get to what's, where are we going next and get to know the characters. It's always about characters for me and going through that. That, that sounds cool. That sounds really cool. All right. So if someone wants to reach you and get more information, how can they? They can go to my website, which is my first name and my last name.com, kirstenweiss.com. And Kirsten, if you were going to recommend, so my audience, obviously, musician fans, and if they wanted to go, where, what book, what series would you suggest first? They might enjoy, if they're Bruce fans, they might enjoy the Urban Fantasy series actually a bit more, my Riga Hayworth. Okay. I guess I see that. I'm looking at your website. Okay. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, it's the urban fantasy. She's very, she's middle-aged. She's very no-nonsense. And she does look at the darker side of life. Okay. <laughs> but she keeps on going. She's very, in many ways, she's very stoic, which again, is something which I appreciate about Bruce's music. That's just, things aren't fair, but you keep grinding. You just keep going at it. Even when yeah. things don't go your way, you, know, you struggle, you fight. Okay. And that's her attitude. Yeah, so it's the Rita Hayworth Paranormal Mysteries. It looks like the Metaphysical Detective was a prequel. The Signal, the Sigil Detective, the Alchemy Detectives. Yeah, I there's a whole series, and so I recommend people check it out and uh, let you let them know let you know what they think. Thank you. Yeah. So, what should I've asked you that I haven't? Okay, the name of my newest book is The Mysteries of Tarot. Okay. Shoot, I've asked with that. I have to give that a plug. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> that's the one that's the experimental genre fiction mystery. And what 
um, and that's available wherever Everywhere. fine books are fine. Okay. And that that sounds good. All right. I will definitely check that out. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, for me I too. Feel, Thank you. I feel like we could just talk for another hour just about the creative process. I appreciate you letting me go off on some tangents. But before I let you go, we've got to end with a Mary question. So Jay Armstrong is now retired, but he used to be an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. And he would have his, he would print out the lyrics to the song Thunder Road and his class would treat it as if it was a poem. They would look at the lyrics. They would talk at the imagery Bruce uses. He would compare it to like Robert Frost and other poems. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So my friend, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I don't think you're going to like my answer because I did a close reading of the text. <laughs> Good. And it's all told from his point of view, the singer's point of view. So we don't always see if Mary is what he sees of Mary. We don't really know who she is except through his eyes. And I would call him an unreliable narrator, frankly, this whole I haven't seen you for a while, but come away with me on this <laughs> crazy trip. It's a little unreliable. So I don't know. She could have this whole other life. She could be about to get married to some guy. She could be living large. And we just don't know anything really about her except for his memories of what she was. So I have no idea if she gets in the car or not because I have no idea who she is. <laughs> I, that is a very valid answer. About 60% of the people say yes but 40 percent say no um the one i just I, I just interviewed this guy warren zanes who was doing the nebraska book i talked about and he says no because this is all in our singer's head he's never even talked to her he said this is just all in his mind that he could do that and he's too afraid to do it and i've had other people say that we aren't supposed to know the answer, Jesse. That's the whole point of the song. The song would not be good if we knew the answer. So I love your answer of, and because, yeah, I think that's a really good thought. So thank you. That's greatness. I love the different people. And that's why I, I get a kick out of it. Like, I don't know if you're gonna like my answer. If it's a well thought out answer, I love it. <laughs> you know, the ones that go, yep, she gets in the car. Why? Because it's Bruce. Why wouldn't she? Okay, <laughs> that's an answer. <laughs> so, once again, the website is Kristen Weiss, K I R S T E N W E I S S dot com. Go check it out. Check out some books. And um, I hope you come back sometime. Oh, I'd love to. This has yeah. been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. If you have next time you need to promote something, let me know. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of this community. For now, remember to be safe, be kind, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. 
but I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at setlustingbruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.